The Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. For over 20 years, the healthcare industry's largest companies have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision while designing and developing innovative digital products. Whether you're powering a medical device, overhauling your backend architecture, or reimagining your patient experience, MentorMate can help. Their global team takes a personalized and in-depth approach to deliver secure solutions in all sectors of healthcare. With deep expertise in design, development, cloud, and software support, MentorMate helps healthcare clients administer state-of-the-art care through technology. Trusted guidance, global expertise, secure integration. MentorMate delivers digital transformation at scale. Learn more at MentorMate.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone out there in Medical Alley. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. We have a great guest today from one of the most innovative companies that's in Medical Alley. We're joined by the CEO of Biosig, Ken Londoner, and he's going to tell us a little bit about what they're up to and where they're going. Ken, thank you for so much for uh, being on today. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started? Thank you, Frank, and uh, it's great to be a new member of Medical Alley. Uh, We're excited to be here. Uh, Myself, I am a uh, medical technology, medical device veteran, but I came into the industry via a different avenue. I was a Wall Street investor working for a very large New York City-based mutual fund company. I made my first medical technology investment in 1989, and it's amazing uh, to see how fast time moves. But back in 1989, today's market leaders were much smaller organizations and the great a hallmark of our industry is innovation and growth. And, you know, I've gotten to watch the growth of our industry over the last 30, 32, 33 years. And it's now great to be, you know, in a small company trying to do the same thing as some of those companies back then. Yeah, right on. Maybe before we jump into Biosig, that's a, a really cool background to then come into MedTech. What prompted you to make the change from the, the investment in the finance world to to go into medical device? Yeah, good question. I guess like um, if you look at it this way, if you're a spectator watching a football game and you're in the stands, you know, it's fun and enjoyable and pleasant, exciting, but it's different to be on the field. Uh, Believe it or not, after 9-11, sort of like a disruptive moment in my career because I was in New York City and obviously that was a horrific day for our country and most particular New Yorkers. Uh, it made me take an assessment of like, what, what do I want to do? I could continue to stay in the investment business and be a spectator, or I could try to figure out a way to form a company. Uh, and the reason for MedTech is it's just a, it's a industry of passion for me. Um, it's, it's a beautiful uh, synthesis between technology and innovation and, and healthcare and helping people. So it was always appealing to me from an investor perspective We always did very well in medical technology, and it continues to this day. Investors do well in our industry. Uh, So uh, in 2008, I was doing some clinical work at Harvard Medical School with the late Dr. Mark Josephson on a private company, and he introduced me to the technology and the technologists that have created uh, our platform, and he encouraged me knowing that I had a background with investing and being an entrepreneur in medicine to consider, uh, you know, coming down this path. And after about a year's worth of diligence, I concluded that, you know, electrophysiology, AFib, and the technical and clinical opportunities were very 
uh, enticing. So we started the company in February of 2009. And it's amazing how fast 13 years ago, but here we are as a little baby NASDAQ company. Right on. Yeah. 13 years seems like a long time, but it's a blink of an eye. I love that background, how you describe the the passion. It's a good business where you can do good things and make a good return. It's just such a great combo. And you having that finance, that investment background, you know, I see this all the time where there are companies that they don't know that part of the world and end up struggling. You're bringing that into it. So I appreciate that. Maybe for the people who don't know Biosig, you hinted at a little bit with the electrophysiology and AFib. What is Biosig doing or what's it up to? So the core of what we are, we are a technology company that we excel in what's uh, signal processing. Uh, our engineers are, you know, PhDs with a long history of uh, signal processing expertise coming from a variety of industries like digital telephone switching, uh, computer science, uh, networking, uh, and medical device. So we are able to take noise and interference out of biomedical signals, I believe, in a fashion that is probably better than anybody in the world. So if you think about that in general, any company that's being able to bring fidelity or improvement to sound or, or, or visual or signal historically is done quite well. I think of companies like Dolby and Bose. Um, you know, who've been able to bring quality to these uh, big arenas. We believe we are in similar fashion where we are able to take noise out of signal. And the way we do it is totally unique and novel. We have uh, received 49 patents to date, which are relatively new patents with another 29 in front of the USPTO, where we feel we'll have great protection in uh, both our original area of focus, which is electrophysiology, improving the intracardiac signals uh, that the uh, ablation therapists use to determine how to improve and correct atrial fibrillation problems. And so uh, we've uh, engineered a product called the Pure EP system, which is a signal processing information system that is installed in the operating theater or the operating rooms where cardiac ablation uh, procedures are done. Oh, very interesting. I, I love the comparison to a Dolby or a Bose and the, the high technology, but also the, the image it conveys. There's a unique thing, or at least I think, unique thing about the way your guys' company is structured. A lot of the startups that I work with, they're, they're privately held, privately backed. You guys are publicly traded. You, you said earlier, baby NASDAQ, which I appreciate that, uh, that nice statement of it. But why be a publicly traded company um, at this stage of your development? And as I understand it, you guys have been publicly traded for a fair bit now. We went public in the fourth quarter of 2018. Um, so we've been on the NASDAQ for three and a half years. Uh, we were private before that. In fact, for many years, we didn't even have a website. We were in stealth development mode. And, um, you know, one of the fundamental sort of accelerants for us is in 2014, we showed up in Rochester, Minnesota uh, with our prototype, uh, I think it was December of 2014. Um, the medical literature showed that uh, some of the leaders at Mayo Clinic had a real appreciation for signal processing in electrophysiology. So we wanted Mayo Clinic to independently verify our technology. And 
about three years later, we signed the first 10-year partnership with the Mayo Clinic and Mayo Ventures to basically work with them collaboratively to innovate more software, more applications for our uh, hardware platform. And uh, we've been there ever since. And uh, Mayo happens to be a customer of the company as well, which is was an exciting commercial moment for us. Uh, but, you know, where we stand right now is we are uh, just transitioning from limited market release to commercial rollout and being public affords us access to capital to be able to grow the company in hopefully an efficient and effective fashion. We have no venture capital investment in the company. Uh, the company was basically funded by individuals like myself and others like myself who had a longer term vision of this technology platform. Uh, so we, we view ourselves as independent and by being public, uh, we believe that'll be able to sustain our independence where we're not really controlled by a venture group or a private equity firm or a corporation. We're dedicated to the long-term pursuit of applying our signal processing capabilities into as many fields of medicine that give you know, clinical benefit. I love hearing that, that long-term commitment with a, the 13 years already, a 10-year partnership with Mayo Clinic. You guys are thinking long-term. And that, as I understand it, you just mentioned going from limited market release to a broader release. I think I had seen just the other day a press release out. So folks were recording this on March 18th um, that you just brought on a, a new executive, a new COO, I believe. Is that right? Yes, uh, we're very excited. John Seekhouse uh, joined us about a week ago. John is a veteran of our industry spent 31 years in this uh, in this great industry and he was a senior executive at St. Jude Medical and then Abbott he was the uh, US he was the head of national sales for St. Jude he had many other roles uh, I believe he was in, uh, reporting into the C-suite and um, just a wonderful leader and uh, such a vast network of relationships both commercial clinical and um, you know know so many great people in this industry so He's taking over the operations of the company, and he'll also have an impact on our commercial strategy as well as our commercial execution. And he and Gray Fleming, who we hired about four months ago, Gray also comes from Abbott St. Jude. Gray was reporting into John as one of the lead vice presidents of cardiac sales at St. Jude, and he is a uh, unique uh, commercial executive. I've learned so much about how this system works and how it's uh, in a more focused fashion. So we're now building out a commercial team to take the product nationally. Oh, it's fantastic. And it's it's so great to see companies that have made that long-term investment to develop great technology. They're now bringing it out. And I also love seeing when the, the leadership and the talent that is developed in some of these established organizations, St. Jude being one of the greats, now are contributing to the next generation, not only of technology and, and development and patient care, but that also means new people getting trained and developed, new sales reps being recruited that then continues to build the industry. And something I, I've noticed, and Ken, you and I have talked about this before on other calls, you guys have a relatively distributed team. And, and even before the pandemic and all the talk of like remote work, work from home or things like that, you guys seem to have gone where the talent is as opposed to everyone's got to come to you. What Was there a reason for that? And what's it been like 
managing and leading a, a distributed team? It's a great question. It's um, quite a struggle. I'm sure other leaders uh, face the same challenges. I, I come, I'm an old school guy. I come from the place where I would love everybody to be under one roof, where there could be on-site brainstorming, ideation, collaboration, uh, and team meetings. And, you know, it, it drives accountability, performance, uh, scheduling, et cetera. But uh, Zoom changed the world. Uh, the pandemic changed the world. Um, and, you know, listen, all these big corporations have teams in every state, and they're all moving around quite a bit. And with software and mobile and technology, you can manage an enterprise pretty well from your from your smartphone. But, um, you know, I would say if I were to summarize, we're probably 60% office-based and 40% um, Zoom in terms of how we manage the workforce. Uh, we have three offices across the United States. Uh, we're in uh, Westport, Connecticut, which is our headquarters. We have a fairly decent-sized office in uh, Santa Monica, California. And then we have a small clinical office at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. And we move around the country via uh, that footprint. And, you know, we're, we're still small. I mean, we're mid-50s in terms of our employee base. But, you know, hoping the pandemic uh, doesn't rear its head again, you know, we have ambitions to grow this company considerably over the next five to 10 years. Yeah, indeed, bully to that. The last thing I wanted to ask you about was something a little bit different, although you, you alluded to it a little bit with the signal processing comments so you, you guys are also involved in bioelectronic medicine. And I, I'm wondering, could you first tell us a little bit, what is bioelectronic medicine? And then how does Biosig play into that? Or what's the work you're doing there? Uh, thank you for the question. You know, I was lucky being in the mutual fund business. So I got to see all the tiny little companies uh, that were doing different innovative things that came together in sort of a uh, orchestra of technology that created the internet. And obviously all, all the benefits that have come from the internet is beyond amazing. You know, with the body, you know, we're so used to treating the onset of disease with either surgical therapy or drugs. Uh, but our body's uh, bioelectric system, you know, from the brain to all the organs through the central and peripheral uh, nervous system, you know, control messages that, that uh, allow our body to function. And the electronics, the computing uh, has advanced so much now where, where with our signal processing expertise, we're getting to the point where we are able to see your electronic signatures, the action potentials, the neurons, and, and, and the measurement of those uh, in terms of having a faithful, reliable marker uh, so when you have the early onset of disease, take Parkinson's or epilepsy or atrial fibrillation, we are building technology that will hopefully be able to read all, all of that and provide the research community and the therapeutic development community information that they don't currently have today. Uh, that information is bioelectronic information and complementary to your DNA and your, you know, your vital signs and, and all the artificial intelligence capabilities of these supercomputing platforms. We think the bioelectronic information could potentially unlock answers in places that don't uh, have answers today, or this information can complement and improve existing therapies. For example, if you look at diabetes and what 
uh, Dexcom and other companies do in a fixed closed loop system where you're uh, reading body signals and you're delivering therapy without the patient having to do something. To me, that's the future of medicine. And you see new companies using bioelectric therapies, like, for example, Inspire Medical Systems with sleep apnea or Exonics with sacral nerve stimulation or Nevro with spinal nerve stimulation. Biosig is building technology that can give companies like that information that might be able to help them better uh, deliver personalized levels of stimulation so they get better therapeutic outcomes or provide information as a feedback loop so they can understand how to better adjust to certain patients or certain areas of the condition. And I think not just us, but there'll be other companies in this space where bioelectronic medicine, I'm hoping 30 years from now, would be similar to where biotechnology was 30 years ago. Right on. Yeah, the, there's such a thing in device where we, we know something works, but we don't always have mechanism of action, why it works, like we so focus on in the biotech and the pharmaceutical world. What I hear you describing is being able to gain understanding of what's happening and how to tune for it or how to study it or better deliver therapy pair that up with some of the amazing therapeutic technologies being developed that it again me commenting now that long-term view that you guys are taking that makes a ton of sense given that core expertise and signal processing that that's just cool well I, I i would i would come at it one other way uh frank we all have friends or family or extended relationships where we hear tragic stories like uh, i think of als patients and it's always so uh, disheartening to hear uh, what happens to these folks. And you, you say, wow, we can do so many things in society that are so advanced, you know, like sending rockets and having them return to Earth perpendicular without, you know, throwing away any of the parts, you know, SpaceX, incredible stuff. Why can we not figure out how to help people with ALS? Why can we not make a dent in Alzheimer's or dementia? You know, why is deep brain stimulation still such a tiny market? Why are people with hypertension that are resistant to drugs not being able to get better therapies? I mean, there's just so many conditions, not to mention all the things I could say about cancer. So, you know, you think about the younger generation, all these geniuses uh, graduating who are completely computer literate, have been programming some of them from the age of five you know, with all this new computing power and some of this innovation around things like signal processing, I really see a bright future uh, where there will be more technology coming in and, and, and hopefully providing answers in some of these, uh, you know, intractable disease states. Ken, that is a, I think that's a great spot to wrap it up and to leave on that, that thoughtful and insightful and forward-looking note. So I just want to say thank you for taking a little bit of time today to share the biosig story uh, with our listeners. Thank you guys very much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And folks, that's the Medical Alley podcast. If you're not a subscriber, make sure to check out medicalalleypodcast.org or you can get us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts fixed. See you next time.